welcome to the Divine Will Podcast, where we read and study the writings of the Servant of God, Louisa Picaretta. Let us begin. Volume 15, July 5th, 1923. Jesus Accused by the Jews Before Pilate. Where is and what is the kingdom of Jesus? I was accompanying my suffering Jesus in the hours of his bitter passion, especially when Jesus was presented to Pilate by the Jews and accused. Pilate, not satisfied with the simple accusations they made about him, returned to interrogate him in order to find sufficient cause to either condemn him or free him. Jesus, speaking from within me, said to me, My daughter, everything in my life is a profound mystery and a sublime teaching, all of which man must reflect in order to imitate me. So great was the Jews' pride, especially the feigned holiness they professed, by which they were considered to be upright and conscientious men that they believed that by merely presenting me and by saying they had found me guilty and worthy of death, that Pilate would listen to them and without further interrogation condemn me, especially since they were dealing with a Gentile judge who had neither knowledge nor awareness of God. But God disposed otherwise so as to confound them and to teach authorities that despite however good and holy the accusers of a poor criminal seem, they should not be easily believed, but should be almost hindered with many questions, and thereby the authorities can see whether under that facade of goodness there is truth, or whether there is some jealousy, rancor, or ambition in their hearts for a position or other honor. Scrutiny reveals persons, confounds them, and shows them that they are not trusted. Seeing themselves unappreciated, they abandon the thought of acquiring positions or of accusing others. What evil superiors do when, with closed eyes and trusting in a feigned goodness rather than in proven virtue, they listen to one of these accusers or put them in a position of authority? How humiliated the Jews were in not being easily believed by Pilate and by having to endure many questions. If he yielded by condemning me, it was not because he believed them, but because he had no other choice so as not to lose his position. This confused them so deeply that an extreme confusion and profound humiliation remained as a mark on their forehead even more so since they could see that there was more rectitude and more conscience in a Gentile judge than in themselves. How necessary and just is scrutiny! It sheds light, producing calm in the good and confusion in the bad. Wanting to examine me, Pilate asked me, Are you a king? Where is your kingdom? I wanted to teach another sublime lesson by saying, I am a king. By this response, I wanted to say, Do you know what my kingdom is? My sufferings, my blood, and my virtues are my kingdom. 
They are the true kingdom which I possess, not outside of me, but within me. Whatever one possess on the outside is neither a true kingdom nor a true dominion, because whatever is not inside of man can be taken away or usurped, and he will be forced to leave it behind. Instead, whatever is on the inside cannot be taken away. Its ownership will be eternal within him. The characteristics of my kingdom are my wounds, my crown of thorns, and my cross. I do not, therefore, behave like other kings, who make the people live apart from them with little security or even food. Not I. I call my people to dwell within the rooms of my wounds, fortified and defended by my sufferings, quenched by my blood, and nourished by my flesh. And this alone is what it means to truly rule. All other kingdoms are ones of slavery, danger, and death. In my kingdom, instead, there is true life. How many sublime teachings, how many profound mysteries there are in my words. Every soul should say to itself in its sufferings and humiliations, in its abandonment by everyone, in its practice of true virtue. This is my kingdom which will not perish. No one can take it from me nor touch it. Indeed, my kingdom is eternal and divine, similar to that of my sweet Jesus. My sufferings certify me and fortify my kingdom. No one will wage battle with me in the view of my great fortress. This is a kingdom of peace towards which all my sons should aspire. Volume 14, June 1, 1922 What is Truth? In my usual state, I was meditating on the hours of the passion of my dear Jesus, especially the moment when he was presented before Pilate, who asked him about his kingdom. Then my ever-lovable Jesus said to me, My daughter, this was the first time in my earthly life that I had to interact with a Gentile ruler. He asked me about my kingdom, and I replied, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, thousands of legions of angels would defend me. With these words I opened my kingdom to the Gentiles and communicated to them my celestial doctrine. So true was this that Pilate asked me, What? You are a king? I immediately responded, Yes, I am a king, and I have come into the world to reveal the truth. With these words I wanted to open a way in his mind so that he might come to know me. Feeling myself moved by my reply, he asked, And what is truth? But he did not wait for my answer, and so I did not have the opportunity to give him the benefits that my explanation would have brought. I would have said to him, I am the truth. Everything in me is truth. Truth is my patience in the midst of so many insults. Truth is my gentle gaze among so many mockeries, slanders, and contempts. Truth is my affable and appealing manner in the midst of so many enemies 
whom I love, even as they hate me. Though they want to kill me, I love them and want to embrace them and give them life. My solemn words, full of heavenly wisdom, are truth. Everything in me is truth. This truth is more than a majestic sun, which rises splendid and luminous, puts to shame its enemies who try to trample out its life, and makes them fall to the ground at its feet. Pilate asked me in a spirit of sincerity, and I answered immediately. Herod, on the other hand, interrogated me with malice and out of curiosity, so I did not respond to him. I reveal myself to whomever wishes sincerely to know holy things. I reveal more than they wish to know. On the other hand, I hide from those who are curious or evil. As they attempt to mock me, I conceal myself from them and confuse them. So it is I who mock them. But since my person carried the truth within, it also manifested itself before Herod. The silence before his tempestuous questioning, the modest glances, my countenance full of gentleness, and the dignity and nobility of my person, all were truths, truths in action. Volume 13, September 16, 1921 Jesus Mocked by Herod I was making the hour of the Passion when my sweet Jesus appeared in the palace of Herod, dressed like a madman and a fool. My ever-amiable Jesus, making himself seen, said to me, My daughter, it was not only then that I was dressed like a madman, mocked and made a fool of. Creatures continue to make me suffer like this. Indeed, all types of persons are continually making a joke of me. If a person goes to confession and does not keep his intention of not offending me, he plays a joke on me. If a priest hears confessions, preaches, and administers the sacraments, but his life does not correspond to the words that he speaks, nor to the dignity of the sacraments that he administers, he plays many jokes on me, for however many the words he says or the sacraments he administers. While I am restoring new life through the sacraments, they are mocking me and playing jokes on me. With their profanation, they prepare clothing for me for dressing myself like a madman. If superiors ask sacrifice from their subordinates, or the virtues, prayers, unselfishness, but if instead they live a life of comfort, vice, and selfishness. They are playing many jokes on me. If civilian and ecclesiastical leaders press for observance of the law, but they themselves are transgressors, they are playing jokes on me. How many jokes they play on me! They are so numerous that I am tired of them, especially when under the appearance of good they put the poison of evil. How they make fun of me! almost as though I were a plaything or a pastime for them. But my justice, sooner or later, will make fun of them and will severely punish them. You must pray and make reparation for this mockery, which causes me so much pain, 
this mockery that prevents me from being known for who I am. Later, having returned again, since I was fully uniting myself with the divine volition, he said to me, Dearest daughter of my volition, I am anxiously awaiting your fusions into my will. You must realize that just as I myself used to think in my will, so I molded your thoughts in my will, preparing a place for them. As I used to act, so I molded your acts in my volition, and likewise for all the rest. Now, the things that I did, I did not do for myself, not having need, but for you. So I await you in my will, which is coming to take up the places that my humanity prepared for you. After my own examples, you derive yours. I am content then and receive full glory when I see you doing the same things I did myself. Volume 14, November 24, 1922 Effects of a Word and Glance from Jesus and the reprimand to Louisa for wanting to allow these truths to remain hidden. I was thinking of my sweet Jesus when he was brought before Herod, and I said to myself, How is it possible that Jesus, being so good, did not deign to speak one word to Herod or even gaze at him? Perhaps that perfidious heart might have been converted by the power of a glance from Jesus. Then Jesus, manifesting himself, said to me, My daughter, Herod's perversity and hardness of heart were so great that he did not deserve that I look upon him or speak one word to him. On the contrary, if I had done this, he would have been even more guilty, because every one of my words forms an additional bond between me and a creature. Every word forms a greater union a greater closeness. When a soul feels my gaze, grace begins to act. If the glance or word was sweet and beneficent, then the soul says, How beautiful, penetrating, soft, melodious! How can I not love him? If it was a majestic gaze or word, resplendent with light, the soul says, What majesty, what greatness, what a penetrating light! How small I feel, how miserable, how much darkness there is in me compared to that resplendent light. If I wanted to describe to you the power, the graces, and the good carried by my word, who knows how many books you would have to write. Do you see now how much good I have done to you by looking at you so many times, by having such intimate conversations with you? I have not spoken only a few words to you. No, I have delivered complete orations to you. From this, you should understand that the bonds, the relationships, and the ties between you and me are innumerable. I have treated you as a teacher treats his disciples. When someone other than the disciples requests guidance, the teacher says only a few words. But desirous of converting his disciples into teachers like himself, he spends entire days with them, speaks to them at length, and is always guiding them. Now developing an argument 
later giving them a simile to help them understand him. He never leaves them alone for fear that any distractions may, like a wind, blow away all his labors. If necessary, he takes time away from his own repose to dedicate to them, to train them. He withholds nothing, neither fatigue nor difficulties nor sweat in order to achieve his goal, which is to transform his disciples into teachers. That is what I have done with you. I have withheld nothing. For others I have only had a few words, but to you I have given orations, long lessons, similes, at night, during the day, at all hours. How many graces have I not given you? How much love have I not given, even to the point of not being able to be without you? My designs for you are great. That is why I have given much to you. Now you want to thank me by leaving hidden within yourself everything I have said and done to you, thereby withholding the glory I will receive when all this is made known. What would you say about a disciple whom his teacher, after such travail, manages to transform into another teacher like himself? if that disciple were to retain for himself all the knowledge that the teacher had imparted, refusing to share this knowledge with others, would he not be an ingrate and a source of sorrow for the teacher? What would you say of the son if, after receiving so much light and warmth from me, it refused to radiate this light and warmth to the earth? Wouldn't you say, It is true that you are beautiful, but you act badly when you retain your light and warmth for yourself. The earth, the plants, generations of humans all await your light and warmth. They need it to receive life and be fertile. Why do you want to deprive us of so much good? What makes your behavior even more reprehensible is that by giving light and warmth to us you lose nothing. On the contrary, you acquire more glory, and everyone will bless you. Such a son are you. I have placed in you so much of the light of truth concerning my will that it will be much more than a sun, which illuminates everyone, and it will do more good to the earth. I and the generations of man are waiting for this light to radiate from you, and here you are thinking how you might hide it, and you worry if those who have the authority take the necessary steps to let it shine forth. No, no, this is not correct. I felt I would die as my sweet Jesus spoke, and felt guilty because recently I have been relieved that those authorized to do so had been unable to release one of my writings. Oh, how bad I felt at being so harshly reprimanded. From the bottom of my heart I asked Jesus to forgive me. Then he calmed me by saying, I forgive you and I bless you, but be more careful in the future so as not to repeat this again. Volume 14, April 1st, 1922 The pain caused by the deprivation of Jesus is greater than the pains of purgatory. 
My days are full of bitter suffering because I scarcely ever see Jesus. Even when he manifests himself, it is like a flash of lightning that quickly disappears. What sorrow! What an eviscerating pain! My mind was afflicted by the thought that my life, my all, might never return. Ah, everything is over for me. How will I ever find him again? Who will I ask? Ah, nobody takes pity on me. As I entertained these and other thoughts, my ever-lovable Jesus came and said to me, My poor daughter, my poor daughter, how you suffer. Your state of suffering surpasses even that of the souls in purgatory. They are deprived of my presence because they see themselves soiled by their own sins. Their sins not only prevent them from seeing me, but also keep them from even daring to come to me, because not even the slightest, most insignificant sin can exist in the presence of my infinite sanctity. Even if I allowed them, solid as they are, into my presence, it would cause them greater torments than hell itself. There is no greater torment to which I can subject a soul than to oblige it to be in my presence while it is still stained with sin. For this reason, in order to soften its tortures, I allow a soul to purge its sins first, and then come into my presence. But in the case of the little daughter of my will and I, it is not faults which keep me from manifesting myself. It is my justice which interposes itself between us, that is why your suffering surpasses all sufferings when you are unable to see me. Poor daughter, take heart. You have been touched by my own fate. How terrible are the pains of justice. I can share them only with one who lives in my will, because divine strength is needed to withstand them. But fear not. I will soon return to our usual relationship. Allow the rays of justice to touch creatures. My justice must also flow. Besides, you must allow it to flow through to creatures, for you will not be able to bear it all of yourself. Afterwards, I will be with you as before, but even now I do not abandon you. I too know that you cannot be without me. Therefore, I will be deep within your heart, and there we will talk. After this, I followed the hours of the Passion, especially the part where Jesus was dressed and treated like a demented man. My mind was totally immersed within this mystery when Jesus said to me, My daughter, this was the most humiliating part of my passion, to be dressed and treated as a madman. This made me a plaything, a diversion for the Jews. My infinite wisdom could not have been subjected to a greater humiliation. But it was necessary that I, Son of God, undergo that suffering. Sin drives man mad. There is no greater insanity. He transforms himself from the king that he is into the slave and plaything of the vilest passions which later tyrannize him even more than they would a madman. 
these passions at their own whim and fancy, throw him into the muck and cover him with what is most filthy. Oh, what a great insanity sin is! Man could never be allowed before the Supreme Majesty in such a state. That is why I desire to experience such a humiliating chastisement, to implore that man leave this state of insanity. I offer to my Heavenly Father my suffering of the punishments that man deserves for his insanity. Every suffering that I experienced was but the echo of the sufferings that creatures deserve. This echo resonated in me and made me subject myself to the pains, the ridicules, the scoffing, and all the torments. today, this podcast is coming from the Louisa Picaretta Center for the Divine Will. For more information, please call 423-566-5178. Thank you for listening. God bless.